0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. I had a few really heartfelt conversations with a few folks this week um, who were walking into Christmas with a lot of family tension. Um, I don't know if you can resonate with that. Others are dealing with health issues, uh, loved ones, um, aging parents. Others are dealing with just a lot of hurt, uh, misunderstandings with uh, friends, with, with family members, and, and just, just wanting peace and, and harmony this Christmas. Others of you just are dealing with kind of just this overall weariness and tiredness and uh, maybe just a heavy heart this holiday season. And, and whoever we are, I think all of us here in this room, we could say we're, we're longing for something that this world can't give. And, and we think that, that maybe we can find it by having the perfect Christmas, right? Like the, the cozy, comfortable Christmas where everything goes perfect, we think that'll fix what's going on inside of us, like this little Christmas bubble, hoping nothing will burst it. I don't know if some of you have your spot at home. You know what I'm talking about? The, the comfy spot you go to, uh, maybe beside the fireplace, beside the Christmas tree, and just the sentimental feelings and the, the warmth you want at Christmas, but it seems to escape us, right? It's kind of like a mirage. We, we think we have it, and then it doesn't last kind of disappears on us, just fades away so quickly. And I think, I think it's because we're longing for the wrong kind of peace. You see, ultimately, the peace that we need most this Christmas isn't some feeling, some tranquil, calm feeling inside of me, or some idyllic, you know, Christmas scene outside of me. It's, it's not even the relief of tension within our family situations. Our basic most fundamental need for peace this Christmas is peace with God. Peace with God. Deep down, that's what our hearts long for most. Peace with God is the greatest peace we need this Christmas. All of our troubles can be traced back to this. All of our pursuits of peace revolve around this. Because when we have peace with God, it it trickles down, doesn't it? It trickles down into our relationships with others, It affects everything. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. You don't have to search for it. You don't have to search for this peace and strive for this peace. The peace you long for most is what Jesus came to give you this Christmas. He came to us. He reached down to us. He took the initiative. He made the first move toward peace. He came to give it, and we must receive it. If you're new with us, we've been in a series called Who Needs Christmas, and we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke and looking at various characters who are kind of like the Grinch and kind of considered outsiders. Some are, are lonely, some are, are searching and and hurting and just kind of forgotten. And today we're gonna look at the shepherds, who are really a bunch of nobodies. Considered to be lower class, these humble shepherds give us a picture of how we must receive the peace that Jesus came to bring. And so, let's look at Luke chapter 2. I want to read verses 8 to 14, these familiar words, and I'm praying that God might pierce through and show you something new. This is the word of God. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So familiar, familiar words. And yet there's so much to see here. That's what I love about the Bible. No matter how many times you read it, there's always something new the Holy Spirit can bring to our hearts and minds. So today what I want to do is I want to zero in on verse 14 mainly and ask three simple questions about the peace that Jesus came to bring. Here they are. Number one, what is this peace? What is this peace? Number two, who is this peace for? Who is this peace for? And then number three, how can this peace Be ours. How can this peace be ours? So let's just take those one at a time. First, what is this peace? Well, first, let me tell you what it's not. This is not world peace. This is not peace on earth, in the sense that everyone can have it. Unfortunately, the old King James Version got it wrong. It's not accurate, where it reads, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. It doesn't convey the actual meaning of these words though we wish for that to happen right now, right? We want there to be peace on earth, goodwill to men, especially in our polarized culture that we live in. But the reality of worldwide peace will not come until Jesus' return again. As it says in Isaiah 9:7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's what our hearts long for. By the way, if you feel the angst Of this year know this that's a good thing you were made for a different world right so listen we we can't get just back to normal and everything will be at peace right you know that right because we're yearning for something more this world can't give us when Jesus returns again he will bring a peace and there will be no end to his peace So this is not world peace, and it's also not the peace that the world can give. Remember what Jesus said in John uh, 14, 27. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, if you remember the context of Jesus' words here, he is moving toward the cross. And he's telling his disciples, you've got to be prepared Because I'm going to leave. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. And so the context here matters. He's saying that peace is available to you and it has nothing to do with your circumstances. There is a deeper abiding peace available in me alone is what Jesus says. Now the context of the story here in Luke, as you recall, Mary and Joseph are traveling on their way to Bethlehem. Mary is very pregnant. There are a few, as I'm looking around, that are pregnant in this room. Now, what would it be like, women, and some of you women obviously have gone through this a few or many times, to be told by the government that you've got to go back to your husband's hometown for a census. It's going to take a long time to get there. Three days journey, 80-some miles on foot. That would not be easy, right? But you make the long trek there, and I'm sure it was tiring. We're not sure if Mary really had a a donkey to ride on. And here they are, this poor couple. And yet, they make their way there, this long, long trip, and there's this chaos, you know, and, and craziness all around. And yet, that's... When God brings peace. Like, like He's not waiting for you to, to get into this place where everything's okay and warm and feeling cozy for peace to come. No, it's right in the midst of the chaos and the craziness, the, the disappointment and the darkness. That's where He came. That's where He came into the chaos. So listen, you, you don't have to go looking for this peace, you don't have to get your life all sorted out first. Peace showed up, and it was totally unexpected. Just like the shepherds, it seemed like this was just an ordinary night, right? And some of us, it just seems like we're going through um, the, the mundane moments at times, and all of a sudden, God can break through with his peace. But here, he did something very special and unique. All of a sudden, heaven was torn open revealing its glory. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. So I want you to try to imagine the scene. It was like God was pulling back the curtain of heaven and revealing a glimpse of his glory. Now, one angel would have been enough. This was terrifying to these poor shepherds. But verse 13 says he wasn't alone. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So perhaps thousands or more. Now, the word host means an army. This was an army of angels numbering a thousand or more. No wonder the shepherds were terrified. And think about this. This was a holy night. You know, we sing, oh, holy night. This was a holy moment. God's glory is so great. It's so bright, so powerful. We can't even comprehend it. I mean, Moses had to shield his face away from it. It was too great. God's revealing himself here. His glory shows up and thousands of angels show up at the same time. So, So why are they there? I don't know if you remember this. I mean, the, the song we sang at the beginning of the service, Angels from the Realms of Glory, uh, speaks of this, how angels were present at God's creation and now at the incarnation. And then there's one more time where we see angels kind of celebrating and rejoicing. It's in heaven when one sinner repents and comes to faith in Jesus so this was, this was signaling, I mean, this was a big deal, right? God's glory shows up here, and the angels come right along with him. But my guess is that these shepherds, they were thinking something entirely different when these angels showed up. Picture them. I picture them saying something like, Oh, no, this angel is not alone He brought an entire army with him, and they're here to destroy us. I mean, that's, I think, their first impulse. This is not peace on earth. This is war on earth. An army of angels. Can you imagine? This isn't good news. This seems like bad news. Maybe you just see them shaking, not yet realizing what's happening in this moment. You see, the angels... They weren't announcing a declaration of war on God's enemies. They were announcing peace to God's enemies. Jesus had come not to destroy them, but to save them and us. So this was the peace he came to bring. This was the good news that we weren't looking for. He came to put an end to the enmity between you and God. See, the Bible says that we are sinners, but not only sinners, we are enemies of God, We're enemies of God. We're hostile to God in our hearts. You might think, well, that's not me. I'm a really good person. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 7, the reality about all of us apart from God's spirit through his son's work in us that it says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So apart from God's work in salvation, all of us begin as people who are enemies, hostile to God in our hearts. We don't want to submit to God's word. We want to be the king of our own life. And even in our obedience, we want it to be all about us. For others to notice us as a good person who's following all the rules. Hostility toward God. And yet the wonder of Christmas is that we While we turned our backs on him, he reached down to us. When we deserved to be destroyed, he made the first move toward peace. Even though we're his enemies, he came to make us his friends. As the famous Christmas hymn says it so well, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. Jesus could have come to judge us, and he will one day when he returns again. But his first coming, he came with peace. And yet he could have demanded this peace, like Caesar Augustus of this day. He had what was called this Pax Romana, Roman peace, where he was imposing his rule and his reign by conquering over his enemies so that all of Rome would live at peace. Instead, Jesus came to die for his enemies. That's how he brought peace. And that's unheard of. I mean, it shows us the depth of his love for us, the cost of his love for us. In Romans 5, 6 to 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You and me are right there. We are weak ungodly, unrighteous sinners, and Christ came for us. So Jesus came to bring us peace with God by coming down to us at Christmas, only to be lifted up on a cross to die for us. He lived the perfect life that you could not live. He died the death you deserve, and he was raised to new life from the grave. He took the initiative. Guys, listen, left to yourselves, you and I would still be fighting against God, Still hostile to God in our hearts, living the way we want to live with our mindset on ourselves. But He came to bring peace to rebels like us. Which moves us to the next question, number two. Who is this peace for? Who is this peace for? Look at verse 14 again. The angel said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So this peace evidently is for those with whom he is pleased, literally of his good pleasure, or on whom his favor rests. So I, I wanna I wanna tease that out a little bit because it's so important that we get this. It's not just a matter of having peace or not at Christmas, it's about having it's about having heaven or not forever. All right, so let's let's listen. Who is this peace for? Well, first notice it's not for everyone. It's, it's available for everyone, but not accessible to everyone. Not everyone will accept this peace. And, and I find it interesting in, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 2, verse 1, he refers to Caesar Augustus. In those days, a, Caesar, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful, influential leader of his day. He was really the self-proclaimed Savior and Lord of the Roman Empire. And yet, the angels skip right past his palace in Rome. Where do they go? To the humble pastures of Bethlehem to announce this good news to shepherds. That's telling us something about who he came for. Listen, Jesus doesn't cater to the rich and powerful, right? He he has no preferences. He shows no favoritism whatsoever. Money and power mean nothing to him. So he he didn't come for the rich and powerful. What about the religious people? In Matthew's gospel, we see the news of a king that's been born. And Herod's jealous, right? He's in a rage. But what about the religious people? In Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, it says this. When Herod the king heard this, the announcement about this baby that's been born in Bethlehem, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so get this. These scribes, these chief priests, these religious folks, they had been waiting, kind of watching, and when the news of this baby was born, they even knew, hey, uh, a baby born in Bethlehem kind of fulfills what the prophet said here all the way back in, in Micah, and yet they did nothing about it. They knew the right answers in their heads, but they weren't moved By it in their hearts. Basically, they yawn. (sighs) Sorry, I'll make you yawn now. Some of us are like that. We just assume we're Christians this Christmas, but it doesn't move us. It doesn't really matter. And Jesus, listen, he had some choice words for these religious people later in Matthew's gospel. These religious folks who worshipped him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. White-washed tombs with dead bones inside. You look good on the outside, you're dead on the inside. So listen, if it's not then for the rich and powerful or religious people, how about the wise and understanding, the ones that have it all together in the world's eyes, so to speak? Well, later in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus addresses that very question. He says, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So he's comparing the wise and understanding with little children. By the way, both are adults, These little children, as we're going to see, are the disciples and those who would follow along with the disciples and believe in Christ. But here we see the connection with Luke 2.14. This phrase here, such was your gracious will, can be translated, for so it pleased you well. So listen, God was pleased to hide the news of Christ and his kingdom and of the peace that he came to bring from those who live by the wisdom of this world where riches and power and influence and intellect and even religious works are exalted. He chose to hide himself from those who value those things. And it pleased him to reveal this news of Christ and his peace to those who would become like little children, who know themselves to be weak and helpless and utterly dependent. They're not self-sufficient. They are God-reliant. That's what brings God pleasure, to reveal himself to those who become like little children. We see this same truth conveyed in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26 to 28, where Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the wise. Strong. God seems to operate on a much different plane as he chooses us according to his gracious will and reveals himself to those who become like children. I think of the shepherds again. In verse 8 it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, since it's Christmas time, we just so happen to have a real shepherd here today. I don't know if you know this, but he is here and he's going to make his appearance real soon, I think. Wait on it, wait for it. There he is. Stop, young shepherd. Just want the old one right now, okay? Come on up here. So this is Shepherd Chris. You can give a hand for him. Come on up here. Standing right here, some, how many kids remember Shepherd Chris from last year? You remember him? Yeah, cool. Here he is again. So I want I wanted to say a few things about shepherds. All right, some have portrayed shepherds in a negative light—despised, unclean, untrustworthy guys. Chris is none of those things, as you know. Not sure how clean he is, but in Christ, he has been cleansed. Right? Amen. By the way, if you know Chris's story, and I'm not going to get too far into this. I won't embarrass you too much. I think it's okay that I say this. Chris was fairly a stoic man. And when Christ saved him, got a hold of him, he gave his life to Jesus. You can't see his smile now, but he's, he's a man that's been changed by Jesus. And he is smiling. He loves being around kids. And he's even willing to be a shepherd at Christmas. You know, that's, that's a change, right? Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah. But so often, shepherds are seen in a negative light, but really, I see them more in a positive light in Scripture. They are humble, lowly, nobodies, just common, everyday people. Even though most manger scenes have several shepherds who are always older men with beards, hence, Shepherd Chris fits that description. But in reality, I want you to know some commentators think that most of the actual shepherding that was done was by young boys and young kids. And so come on up here. It's our other shepherd here. Give a hand for Jameson. Come on up here. Stand right there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn around. Show him your sheep. <laughs> Look at how strong you are, buddy. Wow. I think, I think of young David. You guys remember David Before God used him to defeat Goliath and become the king, what was he doing? In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, do you remember this? Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. So we're not sure exactly how old young David was. Most people think he was anywhere from 10 to 15 years old. But evidently, this was a job for young boys and even girls, I read commentators say. And, and they went along with the, uh, the chief shepherd, so to speak, right, and, and helped to take care of the flocks. That kind of changes our perception, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine children around the manger? <laughs> that's, that's a cool thing to think about. And it shows us, again, a picture of who Jesus came for. I mean, shepherds were nobodies, outsiders, humble and lonely, and many, perhaps, were young kids, which also explains why later on that they couldn't contain their childlike joy and they ran to the manger, right? Went in haste, something an older man can't, can't can't do as well, right, Chris? All right, both of you guys can sit back down. Let's give them a hand. They did a great job. So this brings us to our last question, then, as we close. How can this peace be ours? How can this peace be ours, this peace with God? We all long for peace this Christmas, real peace, not the fuzzy warm feelings that kind of come and go so quickly, but this deep abiding peace with God. How do we get that peace? The good news is that he has come to give it to us, so how do we receive it? In Romans 5, verse 1, Paul says, This way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What does it mean to be justified by faith? To be justified means that God has declared you right with Him and forgiven in His sight by faith alone through Christ alone. This is not by trusting in yourself. This is not by trusting in your own good works, not by tradition or baptism or by becoming a better person. Some of us here in this room, we actually can think this, I've lived a good life, so therefore God owes me. Think about this for a minute. You might not be the irreligious type where you think, well, I'm just going to live my life however I want. You might be the religious type thinking, I'm going to live a good life, but I expect for God to come through for me. I mean, and, and when he does it, you get kind of upset at him because you, you're really in control, aren't you? It's not really him, it's you. You're manipulating God to give you what you really want for your own life to prosper. It's I'll do the good stuff, I'll be the right kind of person for you as long as you bless me. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a sinner. You're an enemy of God. You deserve God's wrath. You can do nothing on your own. Romans 4, 5 says, to the one who does not work, you can't work for him, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. So so listen, Christmas isn't about you working harder to become a better person so that God will give you good stuff. No. You can't work for him. You, You can't. You can't somehow achieve a righteousness of your own that will make you have a right standing with God in the end. No, he came to die for you as a sinner and be the righteous one who took your place. That's the beauty of Christmas. We've got to become like little children, dependent on Jesus alone to save us from our sins. So how does that happen? How do we get to that place? Well, remember what the shepherds heard in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. The angel says two things here, not one. You can't separate them. He says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Some of you might think, well, I I really want that peace. I really want that peace from God, but you don't really care about the glory of God. I just want my life to be easier. I want my life to be happier, more peaceful, more comfortable. But as for God being the most glorious person in my life, and, and, and worthy of all my love and praise, well, not so much. But the angels sing, glory to God in the highest. Not glory to me in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine this moment? Glory to God. He's revealing his glory. Glory to God in the highest. I mean, his salvation deserves our highest praise and, and glory. It's because it's not about us. It's about him. That's the angel's heart. And that's your heart, too, if you want real peace this Christmas Salvation glorifies God. Think about your faith story. Nobody gives credit to themselves when they talk about their faith story. They give credit to God. He's the one that's done it through Jesus. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you love this quote by Charles Spurgeon reflecting upon this passage. He says, the only glad tidings that made the angels sing are those that put God first, God last, and God without end in salvation of his people and put the crown holy upon the head of him that saves. That's where the glory goes to us this Christmas. It goes to him. And so maybe today you feel like the shepherds, you're... You're humbled by a glorious God who would initiate peace with a sinful man like yourself. You can come to him. You can come to him just as you are today. Just like the shepherds, right in the mess of this Christmas, you can come to him. In your sinfulness, you can come to Jesus. In your brokenness, you can come to Jesus. In your helplessness, you can come to Jesus. In your sinfulness, you can come to Jesus for peace, real and lasting peace. Guys, if he came to you as a weak and helpless baby, you can come to him the same way, dependent upon him alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that the baby in the manger is the savior of the world. That he came to die for us, taking our punishment we deserved that we could be forgiven and have peace with you, God. And that peace would trickle down into the peace that we can have daily, not only inside but with others here in our family, in our church family. Father, help us. Help us to receive again the peace that you came to give. And Lord, make us to be like humble little children this Christmas, just right there, bowing before you, our Savior and King. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.